welcome and you're listening to the You Are Not Alone podcast series created to provide support to the special educational needs community in Brent and beyond. This is a Jason Roberts Foundation production. Welcome and thanks for joining us. I was talking to Margaret during the week and we were quite um, looking forward to this particular one because obviously some of you multi-agency individuals, you've had your skills tested during this COVID period, haven't you? What have been some of the challenges and some of the creative ways? Okay, so I guess um, challenges to start with. Um, At Manor, we do work really um, closely with the class teams and um, with the, like, the operation therapists and the speech language therapists that are assigned to each classes. Um, so we're seeing each other, like we're in, in, the cl- in and out of the class every, every week. Um, we have that constant communication with staff that we're working with. And I think one of the challenges has been to try to maintain that communication. So we are, we've been obviously been emailing back and forth, like um, I've, I've, really, I've been emailing the teachers, um, emailing the speech and language therapist um, and the other official therapists on our team and Ellie. But I think that was one. So we started emailing and, you know, we've had some contacts with, well, the senior leadership team have been calling and checking in with our families every week. So um, we've kind of got some referrals from those conversations that they've had. And so every time we get like a parent who said, oh, I would like more activities for home, this child or need help any support with this we've been like emailing trying to emailing the other members of the team who are working around working with that child but then it's kind of it's going back and we're used to just having those quick conversations in the in the hall in the corridor like on our breaks or before school or after school like just catching up and having this plan so i think like at first the emails back and forth were um took a bit longer so now i think the way that we've i've responded to that is just having Zoom, using Zoom and really having those conferences. So having the class teacher, the occupational therapist, the speech therapist, the senior leadership team member who's making the check-in calls, just having a catch-up about whatever the inquiry is or whatever support we could, more support we can offer. So I think, yeah, they, it's just finding a new way of working or a, that a new, uh, new way of adapting to not being able to have that constant like communication with everybody, the team, really, like the face-to-face communication. Ellie? Yeah, I would definitely second everything that Brooke said. I think collaboration has been one of the hardest things. And I think the really difficult thing is that it's very present in our minds that we want to do as much as we can to support our families at home. And I think some of the time, some of the challenge in that comes from them not necessarily knowing what it is that we could do to support them at this time. And so we've been trying to put together lots of materials that can go onto our website so that people know how to contact us and also what kind of things they might be contacting us about and what are the possible solutions that we might be then suggesting ways of supporting them. Um, And I think that's something that we're, we're very aware, we know our children so well, we're very aware that many of them will be really struggling at home and it's sort of finding the appropriate level of reaching out and responding to inquiries and trying to make sure that we are doing everything that we can, but also that parents really know what those options are so that they would ask them if they're, because we're here ready to help them and uh, uh, we would like to, would really like to do that. So I think it's, it's a kind of a 
a growing project for us to try and show what's available. Okay. Emily? Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of supporting the families, we set up a list of families who would be contacted by certain members of SLT, and they've been helping with all sorts of things from, you know, providing links to, to getting food vouchers, emotional support, um, supporting them to receive resources that the speech and language therapists and the occupational therapists have um, provided and organised for them. Um, we've also then tried to offer playground slots for families who don't have access to outdoor space or find it very difficult to take their children outdoors in, into the community. Um, and that's been really well received um, by families, just being able to get out of the house once, or, once a week to, to have a bit of outside time. One of the things that came up quite early on was for families who, whose children display quite challenging behaviour, um, that tended to kind of overtake a lot of the other support that we were trying to offer. And a lot of the conversations with the senior leadership teams tended to be about that. And they weren't really able then to get down to other things or other ways that we could support them. So sort of from that, we've, we've tried to get the inclusion team a little bit more involved in sort of taking that off of the wellbeing calls for, for the senior leaders. Um, so we can kind of help with that. Um, and then they can have their other calls, which can be a bit more general about other things. Obviously, it's really difficult because when you're when you're working with children with challenging behaviour, it's really important to be able to see what's going on and analyse what's happening. And we, we can't do that. So it's kind of a case of communicating with the parents and trying to kind of get to the bottom of what's happening and then providing them with advice that is, first of all, safe um, within the family home and, and safe to implement but also that, you know, that they can understand and that they can cope with. If somebody too much to try and change or too much to try and target when they themselves have, have got so many other things and worries and concerns going on, it could be, you know, quite overwhelming for them. So it's been really about trying to manage that, making sure that our suggestions are appropriate for the, the time that we're in, really. And I, I guess it's just that feeling that, you know, it's really difficult for us to support those children because they can't socially distance. So, you know, it's been hard to offer them a provision within the, the school because we need to make sure that they're safe and the family are safe and the staff are safe. But, but then we know that they're really struggling at home. So that's quite difficult to just kind of, on a personal level, try to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think one of the things that has come across, particularly in the last couple of weeks, is... I don't think a lot of people are aware of the amount of people that sit around a child, that form that team that supports that child. I think that that's something that definitely more noise needs to be made about because people just don't understand. Because when they go to a school, you don't see that happening. So, you know, because the school, you're in the school, the school's dealing with the whole situation. This has highlighted just how much support a child gets. And what I'd like to do is, is talk to particularly the educationists here about the importance of that multi-agency support. I think, Margaret, you, do you want to start? Because you, you, uh, you were so good at talking to me about um, the ladies that we see in here today. It's probably a good place to start. Yeah, well, I think um, that, as a team, we all, educational sound therapists, we all work together seamlessly within BSAT. And I know that 
my specialism is not the girl's specialism. So if I encounter a child or a family that I feel has um, additional um, needs beyond what I can offer as an educationist, then I know that any of these math team, I can call on them and they will, they have never not provided. So we, um, we work as a team. They know if there's an educational um, sort of concern that um, I and the teachers and lots of us will be able to support. But where it's in line with sensory, therapeutic, thrive, well-being, that's outside my specialism, but I can call on any one of these um, multi-agency support networks to deliver for their family. So that's how I would say they're, they're, they're just amazing. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, Ross, welcome. Hi, Hi, good to see you. You've been around in, in this sector a long time. Have you, yeah. have you watched the whole input of that multi-agency provision change or seeing it develop? Well, it's definitely changed since the education healthcare plan became more enshrined because, you know, statements were, for want of a better term, they were hit and miss. Whereas with the education healthcare plan, you know, the three strands are very clear. And, and I think that multi-agency working has become stronger as a result of it. And I think the other thing that's changed, you know, you're absolutely right. I've spent 40 years in special educational needs and the last say 15 years, has seen far more therapeutic input coming into schools. You know, if you go back to when I first started, which was in the 70s, there was just not that sort of input into schools. It was like one day a week if you were lucky, whereas now it's actually getting enshrined into schools. Yeah. You know, and schools are actually buying it in or they're working with local authorities to make sure it's there. So it has seen a massive, massive change, much for the better. Um, still, I still think there's a way to go, but um, you know, this is certainly significantly moved on from where it was. Oh, fantastic, um, Kathy Ann. I think you know, I totally agree with what everyone is saying, and I think when you have these type of services actually on sites, or um, you know, you can call on them so readily, and they're there, they're available, they're part of you know what you do in your school. It makes it so much easier. And um, I think one of the things that I've found is sometimes when you I've had to kind of help others to see what you know all these services can offer because you're right people don't know or they don't understand so we've had some quite deep, you know interesting discussions at school about who we need to call on why we need to call on them and also trying to look at how we work with because with the, with the local authority you have a certain amount of time that you can you know you can um, access some of these services so we're constantly looking at how we can work with the services so that we skill up um, people within the school so that they're more of champions who can then look at how we adapt some of the provision while we're waiting for you know a service to come into school to support us further so yeah it's a big piece of work but it's so important and it makes such a difference okay Henning what's happening multi-agency wise in oh, respect of Germany um hi um, yeah, we, are, we have, um, our school has physiotherapists and um, uh, like, uh, five, yes, five physiotherapists and they uh, go into class. They work uh, with uh, um, children one-on-one -on -one or in smaller groups, but they also provide uh, background information for the class team. So if I need help or assistance, I can always call one of my colleagues. 
And at the moment during the lockdown, um, our physiotherapists also provide little videos and exercises which mm -hmm. we send uh, via video conference to some of the homes if it is available. So that is, um, we can't offer speech path uh, pathology in our school, um, very sadly, because many of our students would need the, uh, the speech therapy as well. But um, there had been very um, cuts in the educational department in Germany. So we only have a few therapists at school and everything else has to be done after school by, by the families. And it's always um, to the engagement of the families. If they really want the therapy, they will organize it. Otherwise, if they can't do it, the, yeah, there is no therapy actually. That's the, uh, the case. We have um, most of the families who have autistic children, for example, they get uh, additional help um, because the autistic society in Germany is very strong and uh, um, uh, they really gay, uh, go into the um, families and support them as well. So if the child is known to have an uh, autism disorder at some point, um, usually these families get um, assistant help as well. So this is uh, how it is at the moment in Germany. Okay, thank you. Um, Jonathan? So yeah, it's, um, the, the uh, multidisciplinary team has really uh, helped me massively actually and it's upskilled my knowledge a lot and um, it's helped me develop a key curriculum which is relevant to our pupils and adopting a holistic approach so um, we've implemented our transdisciplinary team into PE so some examples are our OTs um, they support in PE lessons on positioning postural changes stretches and elicitating active movements and sensory and fine motor skills our physical management strategy team, which is similar to physios, they um, provide support for preventative management incorporated in our re rebound therapy lessons, and they promote self-propelling and independence. Then we have our speech and language therapists within PEs. They're giving us guidance and support on our AAC devices. Our visual and hair in hearing and impairment team, so they're supporting us with specific relevant PE equipment and frequency modulators. And then finally, we have a support from our positive behavior team. So they support us with um, our uh, pupils' um, behavior support plan. So lots is, has been implemented in PE lessons. And yeah, it's, like I said earlier, they've really helped to support us um, with our PE curriculum. And what I'd like also to say is the targets also overlap within, within PE as well so we have our communication systems such as behave watch where we um, speak to each other and also like share best practice so it's been really influential for me uh, i mean this really does sound like one of those doorstep moments where we should just be standing there just clapping you guys because this people just Amazing. don't know that this is going on richard because of what you your output as well this has got to be a very interesting area for you it is it, well it's fascinating the first thing is and it's sort of interesting with language you know multi-agency provision that basically from my perspective equals support for the students support for the teachers support for their social group around them i mean in our scenario you know we are working on a sort of a virtual scenario at the moment i mean i had a, a meeting with the a virtual meeting with the MD at the snow centre, etc. 
and everybody's trying to figure out, and the Snow Centre is closed, so our 250 students every month are at home or are being supported by people at school. We're not getting any support uh, with them at the moment, although with some of our some more senior students, then we do a few sort of Zoom calls and that sort of stuff. So everybody's trying to figure out is how do you look at the future when we know, obviously, we know the behaviour of our students, we know their backgrounds, we know what schools they're going to come to, we know we're going to have maybe four or five come at a time. But what do we then do when they turn up? You know, what are we going to be allowed to do? How many people are we going to allow to have on the slope? How are we going to be able to support them in the best possible way? So one of the things we've been working on with Margaret and also with Jonathan is our, our, sort, of, our sort of schools pack where we look at for the future how does all of this stuff and what we do link into the curriculum you know which parts of the curriculum is it going to be uh, able to be linked into that are how going to have the most positive effect on the on the students and then on this from the students on their families as well because we you know from our perspective you know, have a student then they'll have a sibling who's a young carer so you want everybody to be able to you know gain from from what we do so yeah support the students support for the teachers the teachers supporting what we do and seeing what we do and also being able to input into you know into snow sports for goodness sake you know we're trying to figure out what is the best thing when we take a student out onto the slope what is the best thing we can do with them and maybe part of that number one is going to be part of our lesson is going to be about social distancing part of it is going to be what happens if they do need support, new physical support? How are we going to deal with that? So we've got all of these things that are in the mix at the moment. You know, and we listen to what the government says. We listen to what the agencies have to say for themselves. And we will see what happens. But, you know, we're learning stuff from everybody every day. Um, and that learning will come from teachers, will come from, you know, parents, will come from the students themselves as to what they're happy to do. So okay. it's an exciting time. Keisha. Hi. So here in Grenada, we're not quite um, versed and equipped with therapists at the schools. Um, I do know that there are some speech therapists in education. How often they visit the schools, I don't know. However, what we need to keep in mind, however, is that the speech therapist has to visit the regular schools as well. So beside all the schools on the island, then you have the special ed schools. So they have to, um, it's kind of challenging or a bit challenging for them to meet the needs of everybody. Um, the other therapist, that occupational therapist and, you know, getting someone there to check visions and other things, it's, it's a bit difficult. For my four years being at the school, I've never seen or experienced um, a team from the island itself, you know, visiting the schools weekly. I mean, in the future, that is something I would love to see happen, you know. You'll get more from the children if their needs are being met in that aspect. I know from time to time, every year, if it's not twice a year, there's a group of fours that normally comes to the island, and that's a group of therapists. What is happening with that team, I'm not sure. All the children don't get to see the therapist because what happens is that after seeing the doctors, the doctor would say, okay, you would need to visit and the doctor would write a letter or something stating that um, the child will be seeing the therapist when they come to the island. 
So if the parents are not able to visit the doctor, then it will be difficult for the child to see the therapist when they come in. So I think that is a challenge here on the island of Grenada, and that is something that we need to see a little more. But that is a challenge here. I mean, we'll just stay with you for a moment, Keisha, because obviously um, it's kind of sad to hear because what we're really saying is if we look at the UK, we look at Germany, we look at what's happening in Europe, they recognise the need to support the individual with a team of people to provide a need. And what we're really saying is Grenada hasn't really caught up with that. Is that Not my understanding? That, that is correct. That is correct. And that is something I would love to see in the future because then you would have children being able to be a little more independent and, you know, being able to help themselves a little more. And if they're, do, if they're able to do that, then there would be less stress on the parents. David, can we take a, a parent's perspective on the, on the multi-agency support? What's your perspective on that whole thing? On that whole picture, um, my, my son has has went to a number of schools over the years, and he's been in the avenue uh, now since um, I, just over two years, I think. And so, uh, throughout the years, I, I've seen various types of approach in different schools, and I think a key thing is this: you know, integration is not just simply having you know, different professionals under the same roof. Good integration with, with, um, with disciplines, you know, with, with uh, disciplines that, that lead, that sort of deal with kids with special needs and indeed with any multidisciplinary. You know, it comes with careful management and careful you know, um, monitoring. And, for example, um, you know, the culture has to be right. If the culture isn't right, for it to take seed, then you won't get effective integration. And what I mean by that, if we just set it in the context of a school, you know, there'll be, certainly Brent, I'm very fortunate as a parent to have my son in, in that school. And I believe parents who have their, their children in the manor are also very fortunate because they're, they're sister schools, really, and they're ran in a very similar manner. And the, the mix there, the ingredients, they've managed to get it very, very right. You know, it's very, it's very well put together. It's very effective. And that's came through, you know, strong, a strong leadership team. It's came through a culture in the borough, which, you know, which permits that. It's came through a culture within the team, you know, a, a, a professional culture. As I say, careful management. So. From my perspective, you know, good professional integration, you know, for kids with special needs or for adults with special needs, it's not something that just comes easy. It's something that has to be carefully developed and has to grow on the right culture. That's probably all I want to say in it for now. Maybe that's stimulate a bit of discussion. You know, there are, I believe, and, I, and, and in fact, I know there are places outside Brent Specialist Academy Trust where the approach is more fragmented and that does not get as effective results with, with kids. And indeed, kids with special needs do not do as well as they could do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, thank you so much again, David. I think you've highlighted something which is just occurring to me, which is that consistency and continuity of having a solid team, a consistent team, is, is so important. 
this is not a case of just putting somebody there to monitor yeah. that it, we're talking about building relations we're talking yeah. about making connections and that's definitely coming out in what i'm hearing and, and what i think you quite eloquently put to be quite honest with you and i hadn't seen that before you started talking so mike i'll, so I'll add that, that if i could very slightly i don't want to hug the, um, the, the, that's the okay. um, podcast but you know things like you know the, the competence of the team the, the training of the team all that they're key ingredients and you know a good setting when it gets that right you know it's really effective and i can say uncategorically and i'm not saying it because i'm a parent at the school you know the avenue and the manor have that mix really effectively put together and you know the model they have there really works with the kids and the kids do well on it. And that's, that's I think, you know, it's 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 a model almost that could be used in, in other settings. Or, or, you know, that type of model, it, it's very effective. Well, I, I mean, for me, being a neutral, it, it's interesting to hear that because it, it, it suggests that, you know, we could be in a position here whereby you've got people who are being looked after, they're being cared, but actually the competency levels aren't being checked it, it basically just becomes daycare if for want of a better term and then you've got other people who are actually delivering making a difference did you put your hand up ross i did yeah I did. yes yeah. please 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 coming on david's point um for those of you who don't know me uh, i'm also in fact i've just retired as an ofsted inspector for special schools in particular and it is absolutely noticeable that the best special schools are the ones that have that integrated care package. Yeah. There is yeah. no doubt about it, and, and you can see it, and it sticks out a mile, and it's yeah. where the parents are seen as part of the team. You know, the children are part of the team, and the team are part of the team, and when you go into schools and you inspect them and you see that kind of balance, it is so noticeable. You know, so I take David's point. I, I don't know the avenue, I don't know the manner because you're outside of my patch, so I can't inspect you anyway. But, uh, but yeah, they, 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 you know, that, that is the real story, that when you see that, you know it's happening. Just picking up on what David said about training, I think it's really important to note that when you're working as part of a multi-agency team, everybody's training is coming from a different school of thought. Um, you've got you know, people coming at the same problem they want to fix the same problem, but they've been trained in a completely different way. Yeah. And I think that's the difference that I've felt when I've worked in different provisions is that if, if you're all doing different things to solve the same problem, it, first of all, it multiplies the work. You don't know what's making the difference and it, it doesn't really work. And, and you find that, you know, the relationships between the professionals isn't, particularly pleasant either um but if everybody takes the time to understand where each other are coming from in you know the training that they've had and and you know the the you know the background that they've had i think that's what for me makes a really big difference where i work um we all learn about what each other have learned enough to be able to be respectful and to understand where each other are coming from um, and know where all the strengths are going to be. So e effectively, do you explore the common ground first before you you start floating your credentials around? It's it's actually understanding yeah. the need first. 
Yeah, and absolutely. And also like listening to what somebody's saying um, and realizing that's not how you think about it. You think about it in a completely different way, but, but what you're doing is the same thing. So that's, that's great, you know? Um, and I think especially when you then think about multi-agency support beyond the school and you start thinking about psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers and carers, and you know the family as well you know then then you've got even more professionals with different training and and a different points of view coming in and i think it makes it you know really important that you have a bit of an understanding about where they're coming from does that mean in some settings you've actually witnessed people losing thread of why they're actually there it starts to become well you have uh, what I've seen is you've got the teachers setting the plan for the child's learning and then you've got the speech and language therapists coming in and setting another plan that the teachers have to implement and then the occupational therapists coming in and setting another plan that then the teachers have to implement. And so rather than the, it being integrated in, in the learning throughout the day, um, it's more about, well, now we're going to do our occupational therapy or now we're going to do our speech and language therapy or you know now we're going to do this behavior intervention instead of it all just being part of the teaching happening all the time okay i'm going to come to kathy ann and then i'm going to come to richard yeah i totally agree with what you're saying and that's something that we were finding um, that there was just so many different plans so many different targets that you were trying to meet from so many different professionals and that you know, and that's why, you know, I I introduced at the school, right, okay, this cannot continue because it was just getting too confusing and too overwhelming for staff. So we started to make sure that we had, you know, team meetings with trying to get all the professionals together. And myself and the Senko, when we met with the educational psychologist, it's no longer just the educational psychologist. We try and make sure the OT is there, the speech and language therapist is, is there. So that when we are planning and talking about children and their individual needs, everybody at that point is able to input into coming up with what the next steps are. So I totally agree. Okay, Richard. Yeah, it was a, sort of a question actually for David and Margaret. Obviously, I fully understand the, about you know the integration and having having the, the 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 management within the school strong management within the school and getting all of these getting everybody working together is absolutely paramount for the benefit of the student and the students families my question was actually whether parents then go outside that to get other professionals in their own you know their own world not just this year got the school with all of their network but does the parent also, in some cases, also go outside that and get other professionals involved? Right. Can I just say that I don't know, but I would hope that we would be able to provide them with everything within our school that would meet the needs of their children in relation to speech and language, behaviour, OT, sensory, a curriculum. So they have obviously every right to go and everybody has every right to go outside but I don't know of any that do um because also we have Emily you do some home visits don't you not so much anymore but we do have a family support worker that does yeah. Um, yeah. in the past when I've known of families that have people working at home with the children um 
we've just tried to build a relationship with them and meet them and invite them into the school and see what's happening and go home and see what's happening and and try to yeah bring it together as much as we can and just one more thing we have that then also ellie provides macadon training and lots of other cpd for um parents don't you ellie is that correct yeah yeah definitely yeah and brooke offers um some ot advice on how to use equipment appropriately for the for the child for the individual child so i would hope that we provide um high standard of therapeutic interventions to meet the needs of the children but if a parent wants to go outside that then yeah maybe richard asked a question there earlier on and it was in relation to the use of professionals and ot's and so on from my personal perspective richard i i, I tended to use or get professionals in at the early stage uh, of my son, when my son was younger, because he, he's our oldest son. And not only was he our first child, but he, he had special needs. So we were on a learning curve. We didn't understand Barty's condition. And a lot yeah. of parents are like that now, you know. Parents will be watching this podcast and they'll be maybe parents in a position that they don't know really what condition their son has. So... And, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, sometimes you've got to go out for that independent advice. With the EHCP, depending on, on, on the culture within the borough, it can be a challenge to get the, uh, the therapy integrated in the, in the document. You have to get independent advice. You know, you've get, got to get well informed and so on. So I just wanted to answer Richard's point as well. Parents do have to go out, you know, and get it. And I have in the past. Where I am now, I'm very fortunate. I don't feel I have to, because I feel it's so well built in that I don't that I don't have to do that. But there are a large percentage of parents that are in the boat where they've got to go out and get that professional advice. They have no choice. Um, Ross, you mentioned earlier. I think it was good. Um, obviously, when you see a successful model, uh, when you go into schools and doing inspections. Where does it go from that? Do you do you then make recommendations to those schools that aren't operating that way? I mean, how how what's your what Ofsted can are not allowed with that do. information? Sadly, Ofsted are not allowed to do that. I mean, I, you know, the point I'm making there is is that the, there's kind of three models basically. There's the very little therapeutic input. There's the bought-in therapeutic input, and then there's the built-in. And it's the ones where the schools are managing with the therapist on site that you actually see that significant difference in the quality of the provision. And it's not to say that it's the quality of the people coming in isn't good. It's just that it, where it's more on tap, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I mean, Margaret's talked about having an on-site team. When I was a head teacher, we, we had a physios, OT and speech and language all on site. And if you had a problem, you could get the whole group together. Um, but I can't recommend to a school that you now need to go out. We, we would never be allowed to do that. You couldn't say to a school, you must now go out and spend some of your funding on buying this provision in. The, the idea is, uh, if we're just talking honestly and openly, when you look at the education healthcare plan, that's where the decisions about the amount of support should be at. So there should be a minimum requirement. If you think of a minimum quality standard, the HCP is that. That's saying what that child needs that should then be provided by the local authority or the school. 
Um, but where schools are better at it is where they've taken the, the decision to actually have it on site. And, and, and it is so noticeable, it's undrew. Yeah. Just, just um, on, on the HCPs, obviously, um, I think what's really important is that the, the uh, multidisciplinary team are in, incorporated within, within, the, within these meetings. So we're setting the targets in line with the parents and the teachers. So we're all on board with the same objectives. And I think Ross mentioned it earlier, it's about working as a team and it's really important. And I think when you're with the parents discussing these uh, objectives, that it's really refre reflective that they do understand this because we can put some intervention in place. But what I find that's really successful is, for example, that at weekends, a lot of our parents are really encouraged to then do the physical, um, phys physical and physiotherapy programs for their students at home. And it's like, and a holistic approach which has a massive impact on the child. Henning. Yeah, um, I always admire that in your system that in, in UK, for example, schools can buy all these things and uh, add it to, to the curricula. And that's, that's impossible here, I think, in many uh, countries of the continent because here everything is still like, like it was in the 80s. So I'm a class teacher, I have to do everything. So no. even if I work in primary school, I have to work with uh, young adults. I can do that, and I get the support from my from our school, from the teams. Uh, we have uh, also occupational therapists and uh, at school, so that's not the issue. But it is um, the uh, the one thing is that you also have more teachers in a class here. It's only me and one colleague, which is also at some stage good because if you fit together and if you got the same yeah chemistry working on then it's very uh, very good thing because you are very can be very um very quick very supportive you both see how the child reacts and you can yeah it's it's very easy but on the other hand if there is sometimes really i would say uh, when it's more gets more tricky or when you really have to catch up with n new knowledge or things you haven't done before so then it's really nice to have more support and a yeah, more people at hand, and that's much more easier, I think, in 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 UK and in other uh, uh, English-speaking countries. It's the same in Australia, I know, and as I know that uh, in South Africa, it's working also uh, in the in this way. But in Germany, we still don't have this um, uh, this possibility because everything is still very controlled by the government and by the educational department, and it depends in which federal state you work. So in Lower Saxony, where I am, it's different like in Bavaria or in Saxony. So it's, it's really, um, yeah. There's no continuity. No, it isn't. It's in, in, in our area, it's okay. I mean, if a, if a, um, if a young adult or a child, for example, changes, uh, changes school in, in the area, it's not a problem because we still have lots of curricula uh, that are similar, so it's not the, the issue then. And you hold the contact to the school, to the other school. That's okay, and that's working. But uh, if there is a change to another area of Germany, it, it is really difficult. Ellie, Brock and Emily, I'm going to put this to you, really. Last week, I talked to the folks about the fact that we know when things return, however they return, it's not going to be the same. What have you guys learned in this period? What would you take forward with you? And what changes would you say are you 
kind of predicting what's in your crystal ball as in uh how things might look so i think one of the things that's become really apparent for me it's always been something that's been there um is every year we kind of audit our service and we're also always saying how can we get more contact with parents how can we get more parents on board and obviously this situation has massively highlighted that you know many of our parents are struggling they're doing an amazing job in very difficult circumstances but i think what we tend to do at school is um we spend a lot of time polishing something that is already working quite well we spend a lot of time making it so that it works quite well obviously we're really proud that we're doing that and we know that that does have an impact for all of our children but i think the thing for me now is is really thinking about how um you know obviously at some point hopefully we we will go back into the building and we will have the majority of our kids back and eventually all of them obviously but i think it will be really valuable for us to kind of hang on to that idea that actually everything we've learned from training our staff and making sure that the provision that the children get in their classrooms has all of those kind of speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, behavior recommendations really well embedded is, is also something that we can transfer more into the homes as well. Um, and obviously that's the challenge at the moment is kind of, in, but it always has been, but I think it's just made me think how much more important it is that we, we really focus on that. And one of the difficulties obviously is that, you know, Brooke can go into a class with nine children for an hour and everything that she can do with the three members of staff in that room can then benefit those nine children for the rest of the week term year you know so it, it has it has that huge impact whereas it for her to spend one hour contacting each of those nine families they're going to get what seven minutes each or something and and that's that's not enough to make a, a big enough impact so it's kind of the next challenge for me. What I see in my crystal ball is I was think, thinking about how we're going to work through this challenge. I don't quite know what that will look like yet, but really trying to make sure that um, the offer that's there for our parents is um, and, and for the child's circumstances at home is more closely matched to what they get in the classroom. Okay. Brooke? Um, yeah, I guess, similar. I think... Um, now, with this situation, a lot of um, families are spending a lot more time, obviously, they're at home, they're not, they don't have as much of access to the children, they don't have as much access to maybe like the park or other, all those kind of really sensory rich um, experiences that they get throughout the day. So at school, um, everything's really embedded into the classroom. But I think that now, I think through this situation, I think more parents as well have contacted the school and they're in contact with you know, like as senior leadership team, but they're also in contact with their class team. And then the class teams are also liaising with us. So I think there is, it, I think hopefully what's come out of this situation is that um, there's more of that, how do I say it? Like we've, we've shown that we're all working together. So the families that I've been in contact with, it's been with the class, it's been like a joint team, all of us talking and be like, okay, what can we offer this child at home? Like what, so if I'm, um, We've given some equipment and I've worked with the family and I've had a special like a coaching session with the family on how to use the equipment at home to to support the best support the child. What like what communication um tools they need, like what like what communication boards they need, or talking to the class team and be like, what else what else can we offer this family at home? So it's just showing off our collaborativeness and our communication, how we're working together. And I hope that 
is what comes out of it. I, I hope that families as well can, <laughs> by seeking out that support from us and getting the support that they have got, at least families that have reached out and, and um, had contact with, um, I hope that it comes out that they can then also value that and then that and it makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, and last yeah. last week, um, Law, who was out there in France, mentioned that one of the things that's been a positive of this is that the parents were able for the very first time to see exactly how invested teachers were in their children. Some of them actually thought, okay, the school's locked down, we won't hear from them. Uh, to find out that people were that invested has been something that has been a real positive to, to come out of that. Emily? Um, yeah, I think I do think the relationships with parents over this, this time will really grow. But I, I think I want to highlight something that I hope is going to be a bit of a positive um, that I've seen because I've, I've been um, working in the school um, on a rotation. So I've seen what's going on in the provision um, that's there now for the key worker children. And I think what this has given us is to think a little bit more about time and space. We are now forced to maintain a certain distance from our children, which means that the staff are having to be a lot more creative in the way that they work with the children and the way that they communicate with the children and, and get themselves to be understood by the children. Um, when you're in a school environment and there's so many things to do and so many things to teach and, and you've, you know, you've got to hit this target and you want to work on this and you've got to get them all out to the playground at once and, you know, there's a lot of rushing about, there's a lot of organising, there's a lot of quick you get in line and, you know, all of this kind of, of, of thing, which um, actually watching the staff working within the provision as it is now, it's quite incredible to watch that they're having to really think about the way that they're talking to the, to the children to make sure that they're understood and giving them that time and exploring maybe some challenging behaviours that before dealt with in a different way. So I, I think that time and space is, is a good thing to take from it because both of those things support the children to develop their independence more. Um, and I think that's really key. I think you've also touched upon something there, which is really important. All of us people here, you know, we, we, all, we all react to environmental triggers, all right? And those environmental triggers, 90% of the time, are automated. We get in a certain environment, in a certain place, we do a certain thing, and we follow that, that pattern. The fact that those environmental um, triggers have changed during lockdown and will not go back to what they were before. And we're going to be now relating to new environmental triggers is a very, very big point. And I think the point that you're making there about really thinking about what those environmental triggers could look like, could feel like, yeah, you know, what that new experience is going to be. That's, that's a great place to innovate but it's also extremely challenging. So, Keisha, again, a lot for you to take on board there. I mean, it's interesting for me to see, you know, moving forward, you know, how the children are going to socialize.
socialize with each other. And the number one thing that's done is physical education. You know, how? You know, just a how on going back to school. How are they going to play? How are they... Are the teachers going to bring them outside? You know, they eat and they have to be apart, you know, social distancing to eat. So that stands out for me quite a lot because, you know, with much movement, you got you get much spark of the, the neurons in that brain going for you. You know, little of it, you know, you have them probably sitting to a desk, sitting to um, the table, you know, all day. You know, that would be, I guess, you know, really challenging for them. You know, so uh, again, that's the number one thing that stuck out to me when I'm thinking about getting back to school or going out to school. What are they going to do for fun? You know, again, the teachers got to be really creative, really, really creative. I mean, kudos to you teachers, you know, that will be going back all day to work with the children. Okay, thank you. Oh, David, please. Your school space. Like, very quickly, I just wanted to say something there um, from a parent's perspective. Um, and again, I, I, I related back to my son's school, the Avenue. And obviously the manor has similar systems. Um, with the model there, the way, things, the way things really have shaped up is, in effect, everything is pushed down to operational level and the therapy is in the teaching. So... The training that the, that the staff get over time, what what tends to happen, you know, the t and this is from a parent's perspective. Forgive me, any any of the professionals, if I'm not getting anything factual here, but I'm speaking from a, a, a no. parent's perspective. Ellie um, Ellie says you're on point. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, subtle subtle things in the teaching, which I, I guess now my son has been there two years and. The approach in that school differs to the approach maybe in the other school. The subtle things in the teaching make a difference. Where, whereas if the culture is different in a particular borough or in a particular school, you, you'll have professionals brought in ad hoc. And one of the speakers said there earlier on, they may set objectives and so on and so forth. With the model in, in my son's school, what tends to happen, the management and sort of interface happens at a level above the child. And everything is sort of worked down to the teacher and the people who deal with the child. So is that all the ingredients are built into the teacher. So a key thing to remember, I think, or a key thing just to sort of highlight here is clearly when we're when we're when the kids are away from school, they're not getting that teaching. They're getting the home teaching from the parents. And you know, going forward, there will obviously be a phase where things have to ramp up and things will have to ramp up, but there'll be a phase over which we have to readdress the balance. There will be maybe some teaching that still has to happen at home, some teaching in school, and and out of that teaching at home, you know, perhaps the parents have to try and, you know, get a better understanding of the subtlety, if they can. You know, I, I think, you know, value is added there, and it's important that, that that is brought out in this discussion, you know. And again, I'm talking about my son's school. You know, with, with that model, the teaching really adds a lot. All the therapies built in, every little thing they do, every little task, it's been designed carefully, managed out, and it's integrated. And that's what makes it effective. Great job, Margaret, and the team. What, what you're doing there, though, is so fantastic for the parents to be saying what they're saying. Ross? 
Oh, it was just a point to Keisha because obviously I've visited the Grenada schools and Victoria is going to have a particular problem, isn't it, with the, the size of it because the schools there are a lot smaller than the special schools here. So that some of them just amount to literally two or three classrooms. So when they're trying to get their children back in and use those play spaces, you know, that's something that does need to be considered quite carefully. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, oh, really, please, Emily. Yeah, really quick. We were, we were lucky enough to sort of win with a school out in Ghana. Um, and the idea was that we would go out, different people would go out with different skill sets and provide support for the school from their background. And I had the opportunity to go. But what was amazing was that when I went out there, the, there was two things that they'd worked on the time before. And they were both still embedded and, and running every day. And, and I think that you don't have access to a lot of therapy or it's very sporadic. I think, you know, making one change to what the teachers are doing, something practical that they can do every day that's fun. I think will have a really big impact rather than kind of focusing on an individual child and their individual needs of looking at something that, you know, could just change the day for everybody some way. Yeah, Brooke? Yeah, so like just from an occupational therapy perspective, a lot of times there is that um, kind of idea that we just look at the child, it's just like we assess the child and we do that one-to-one -one work. But I think the way it is, what Emily said and what David said as well, is that it's also being embedded in, this, in the curriculum and it's not just looking at the child, it's looking at the environment that the child is in um, all the time, so in the classroom, but also looking at the activity or the occupation that the child is doing and, and modifying those and trying to find ways that can adapt the environment, modify the, the activity or the environment, kind of enhance the child's participation, um, engagement, performance in their, in their learning, in their play, in their self-care. So, I think that, and it's going in, it's change of the years, like since I've been at Manor as well, but I think it is really a great, just even for me to work the school and being part of each of the class teams, um, I do think it's really like a great, yeah. Do you, know, do you know what's come across? It's been, you know, I'm going to pay all of you guys here a compliment. It's been a, a, a real pleasure to have done this over the last seven weeks because for me, I feel your energy and I feel your authenticity that what you guys are, are out there doing from Keisha in Grenada to Henning in Germany. You can, you can see that you guys are really invested in what you do and you can feel it. And, and I think that the applied sensitivities that you are, are showing are the, is the thing that's making me a difference. It isn't just turning up and doing your job it is actually really thinking about this applying the, those sensitivities and it, it's great to see at the same time one of the questions that i'd like to ask all of you is emotionally this whole eight or nine weeks must have been a roller coaster for you can you explain that emotional journey that, that you've been through including the frustrations and and the things that give you re um, respite go on jonathan you go first yeah, I mean, uh, throughout the last nine weeks, um, there's been no highs, there's been lows. Um, in all uncertain times, what we've discussed in previous podcasts, um, structure has been really important to day, daily routines and and just um, taking one one day at a time, really. And um, it's been great to be in, involved on, 
on the podcasts and I hope that the listeners and the parents, the teachers and even the pupils um, have found the information valuable and um, we've provided support and some solutions in these uncertain times and moving forward I think we're all extremely committed to working hard and making sure that our pupils do continue to make progress and fulfil their maximum potential. I think that's really important and we need to um, continue to be creative and look at new ways which, uh, to teach our students, which we have explored and will continue to do so. So in terms of the podcast, I think it's been great to be a part of and also to continue this collaboration further afield and to work closely with these professionals, that, which will benefit our parents and, uh, and listeners. Mm-hmm. And- and in terms of your own emotions and your own stress levels throughout this journey, how have you, you know, how you been coping? Yeah, I mean, the first few weeks was uh, quite difficult to get used to, but I think what's been important, obviously coming from physical uh, development background, is taking, um, getting your exercise in, taking time to reflect, thinking about your mental health. So putting these interventions in, taking those 10 minutes during the day, those two minutes, um, what you were discussing over the last couple of weeks, I've actually tried to implement the, the breathing techniques, Michael. So that's been uh, good, good. Been re- really quite helpful, actually. And I'm going to continue to do this in the, in the weeks and months moving forward. So, yeah, um, like you say, it's been a roller coaster of emotions, but that's good in awesome. some ways. Yeah. What I've um, found is that I now work seven days a week rather than five there's no weekends it's quite stressful in it's been good and bad things as john said because there's highs and lows one of my major highs is with a parent who um has been quite difficult to reach at times and um i i feel we've got a really positive relationship now and she looks forward to my call that i phone her every tuesday and um, that's been a real positive, making connections, because I haven't had connections with parents for quite a while because of my role in the school now. So um, it's lovely to reconnect with parents. The lows is when you know that um, a child or pupil needs something and we can't actually provide for it. Um, so that's one of the lows when you know that there's a family who are in um who are in a lot of distress really because they have a child in at home that they were unable to engage and that they have so much energy because now school's not there anymore they're they don't use up the energy they don't go out so they're up at night they're awake all night their parents are at their end of the tether so that's why um, the Playground Safe Place to Play has been an absolutely amazing initiative um, that's come to school. There's, there's just working with colleagues and finding out the skills and how they collaborate with each other. Like these three people on here with one child, they've all participated with one child. Ellie has written Social Story. Brooke has designed an, um, a physical intervention and um, Emily has delivered the equipment. So for one child, those three professionals have been involved. It's just amazing. So to the degree, are you getting your respite then from 
literally taking the pleasure out of seeing these these guys deliver what they do because it, it that's what it sounds like that's and that's what i feel exactly from you and that's exactly what it is michael i i can see how these people are just everybody in the school not just these three but these three were party to one child which i thought was amazing um but everybody in the school it's paramount that we provide the best we can for every single one of our children so that's what's happening i feel the risk assessments have been brilliant and that's... people have taken on the organization like emily emily's taken on the organization for the safe place to play because it, it with too many people dipping in and out it was uh, getting a little bit um, unorganized so emily stepped forward and organized it so well done that's... That's, that's beautiful, Margaret. That's beautiful. Ross? I mean, I, I just stay awestruck, really, because I'm now working with five different schools, and um, if you just see the, all the leaders, how just the investor they've been, all the staff invested in it, it's just been amazing. The one thing I'm going to say, Keisha, straight away here is one thing I promise I'm going to do is to go back to Grenada free of charge again, um, and I'd like to spend some more time with them because some of the things that we've Beautiful. talked about still need to be challenged. So, happy to do that. Thank you. Oh. We'll appreciate that. Penning, please, you go now. Uh, in terms of that, that your so, journey, that emotion. Well, the, the roller coaster I've been on is that um, at first I didn't know how to start actually learning processes uh, when I'm at home and I'm not allowed to be at school and not to see the students. And that's the thing that is really a challenge because I know that I will not see my class back again because um, as you know I've told you last time that I will yeah. go to another school in Japan and um, my, my uh, class is not allowed to get back into school before of 22nd of June in Lower Saxony so it's um, that's really stressful at, the, at that stage but today I had a very nice experience I I went to one of my students and I got him from home and we went to the zoo actually. And the, the mother has four other children, so five in total. And she was uh, having tears in her eyes when I brought him back in oh, the late beautiful. afternoon because she, she just said, we can't do it with the whole family. First thing, the zoo is so expensive here so that they can't go with the whole family. That, that's one point. But also to have the, the, really the time I could spend really all the hours alone one-on-one -on -one, and he can ask me any questions so that was really a fantastic thing to do and it was a lot of fun for, for, for both of us I must say. So I reached one, uh, the one half of my class and the other half uh, my colleague is uh, keeping more contact. I still be in touch with every parent but we, we split and I think that's a, a great way at the moment because um, it's easier also for our students just to focus on one main character in, in that situation who's responsible and who's always there. And that, uh, that's a good thing. So that is uh, the positive thing. I still have a lot of trouble that I can't get into reach because the, techni uh, the technique here in Germany, many fa families don't have a computer or an iPad when you can go untouched with Skype or anything. So that's really still an issue here. And um, I think it's really a shame because we are such a rich country and everything else is possible here. If in the industry is something going wrong, it's like this and everything is away. But in schools, 
they still leak so in so many ways so behind and that really annoys me and that uh, that's still also a great one of the nasty issues which came out in the corona crisis and i think now it's it's a good way to rethink about how we finance educational system in germany and there are still many will come many discussions how to reorganize many things after this i think yeah and that's okay. a again a positive thing so yeah wonderful wonderful uh Kathian. it's been a real mix of emotions from i think we because we've been planning thinking things were going to happen or we were going to go into lockdown i think at first we kind of i felt yeah great you know we've got a good plan let's move forward with it um, and i think it's been a bit of a roller coaster really of moving from you know there's been some real joy moments moments of joy in terms of the team pulling together and it's kind of realization that you you know i always believe i give people a voice and allow them to have their say but i think by sharing the frustrations by being quite open about my own emotions i've i've come to realize that actually people people are now really sharing their emotions and i think that's been quite a joyous moment to see that and people feel that they can speak up they can say how they feel if something doesn't seem right or we need to move in another direction i think um it's been quite overwhelming i think some of the emotions of late this kind of like i was sharing with my um, leadership team today that kind of feel that we're in a situation where as a leader you're making decisions about staff and children that could potentially put you know mean that they become ill or even worse and it was this yeah quite a frustrating kind of moment you know but to share that with them and kind of then for others to feel that well actually i kind of see where we're coming from and let's have that discussion has been yeah really good but i think definitely the connections communication and having some time as well to reflect on what are we learning here and what do we want to move forward with and we don't want to lose um during this time i think that's kind of where i am at the moment as well as um Try not to go into politics of <laughs> what I believe about different reports and everything else. But yeah, it's been an yeah. interesting time, yeah. a learning experience. Mm. Okay, thank you. Billy? certainly been quite an emotional time for me, I have to be honest. Um, I think I really struggled with the sort of that sense of disconnect um, that we've just lost from not being in the same place. Um, and you know even thinking about things that we could put back into place like obviously having meetings on zoom and um it there's definitely a, a still a sense of loss that there are those kind of more incidental contacts and connections that uh, are just not going to happen because you have to actually phone someone or um you know arrange a meeting to, to get that contact and um i think that's something that's you know, it's really made me miss our big, busy, crazy, noisy office a lot because I think a lot of our kind of creativity comes out of that. And I've really felt that kind of struggled with that. And I think, you know, obviously all of us are dealing with this kind of huge sense of trauma and grief or anticipatory grief and all of those things that are just in the air for everybody and that have been for a really long time. And I think that's when you need the people around you that you're used to having as your support network so i've definitely found that really difficult um but i think on the other hand sort of 
forging new connections with some families I've been fortunate enough to, to be in contact with and have some, you know, some really lovely news about children like basically learning to communicate whilst at home, um, which is amazing. And you know, just to hear parents so enthusiastically saying that, that you know, um, oh, one parent said to me, or oh, now I'm, I feel like I know that he's getting the things that he wants. Whereas before I think he was just like, oh, I'll take it because you've given it to me. And, you know, that's a massive step for a parent to, to take and to, I'm going to get emotional, to, um, to hear that, that that's, we've managed to support that to happen in, in this time is, is really amazing. So some, we've been working with that child since September and we hadn't had a breakthrough of that level. Um, so, you know, there definitely have been highs um, and, and I can't take any credit for that. All I did was send them some symbols, like the mum and the dad have done that. And, um, and, you know, and it's amazing. And I'm, um, yeah, so I think definitely that's, that's been something that's been really valuable, but um, something you said earlier kind of struck a chord as well, that is kind of that, that sense of uh, purpose and meaning and, validation of what we're doing and why it's important comes from all of those connections and so I think that's something that is still so valuable we need to kind of find that because that's what we thrive on um and and so that yeah certainly when you get a, a kind of glimpse of that it's really special um I'll stop now in case I start crying. Um, <laughs> bottle it bottle it it's wonderfully said Brooke um yeah, I guess continuing from what Ellie said, just those um, hearing the news and having some contact and those the parents that we have had contact with and been able, been able to support um, as a team. So again, with like the speech therapist, occupational therapist, class team, and the teachers have been emailing, um, like forwarding on, you know, news that they've got or pictures that the families have sent into the class emails. Um, so that just sharing and still trying to make those connections and um, still yeah, have those moments, those shared moments. Um, in terms of like my own journey, I think, yeah, what Jonathan said about taking one day at a time, getting, going out and I'm lucky to live in, like I live actually south of London in West Sussex. So um, just being able to explore the local area and like the woodlands and, and that and having kind of, and still having that structure. So having, like working from home now, it's a shift because I'm very active usually and outgoing from, you know, it's like eight up and down to like this building and that building upstairs downstairs all these different classes and working and um, usually pretty <laughs> as Margaret was laughing as she knows um so I'm very it's been a, a shift in kind of more working like looking at a screen and kind of doing more of this um it's no. been a shift. but um I think yeah just in terms of like environment looking at talking about the environment again just having like I live in a small flat but just changing the table dinner table around so that it's a different way to make the office the desk and then at the end of the day the work day it turns back around um to make the dinner table or the pub counter <laughs> so but yeah so i think um just having that as well trying to have structure and trying to still make those connections and having and just be, trying to still be able to provide for the families that are struggling so and just a note as well i know you've probably talked about in the previous um ones as well, but having um, the Jason um, Roberts Foundation also um, uh, providing some of the equipment for our, um, some of our children um, where they weren't be so that they weren't, that they didn't maybe have access to a park or garden themselves and just having you know, 
the more physical equipment, so trampoline or peanut ball, um, that we've got really good feedback from parents as well, that that's kind of incorporated into their day and made it like added a new element to their day or really supported the child and being more engaged throughout the day or um, kind of being a bit more regulated if they are a little bit dysregulated, obviously, because change of routine, not being able to have that same, that same level of... Well, you've done a good job because we can feel your energy bouncing off those walls, trust me. <laughs> it's a pent-up energy from not being able to get <laughs> There's no two ways. If you were trying to hide it, it didn't work. <laughs> so yeah. it's wonderful, wonderful. Richard? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a great, it is a great question. I mean, when we started this, you know, when I consider that we... We started the business and the charity nine years ago, and on the 19th of March in 12 hours, we went from hero to zero, and we've lost our business, you know, in 12 hours, but no fault of what we do. You know, we've got 250 students coming every month. But it's amazing what one learns, you know, and what I learned is I absolutely love a storm. I love it. Love it to death. <laughs> You know, it is, you know, I love getting on a boat in Grand Canary and the next stop is St. Lucia and you have no idea what you're going to hit mm -hmm. on the way. And it's the most exciting time you can have. And, you know, every morning I get my running shoes on and I go off with, uh, with Radley, is this Springer? And I, and then I sit and for once, you know, I get half an hour of my own time and I listened to a podcast, for God's sake. You know, I, I didn't even know what a podcast was until eight weeks ago. And I listened to Anthony Robbins, and he gives me a half an hour, and then I okay. absolutely got it all day. It's love it. Emily. I'm, I'm quite aware that I've been incredibly lucky throughout this whole thing in terms of the effect that it's had on, on me and my family and friends personally. So I've kind of, and, and a bit like Richard, I think I kind of thrive on change and a, a bit of a crisis so it's you know it's it's kind of kept me energized but I think um what's been most important is I think that when you're trying to support other people and look after other people and help other people is that you make sure that you help yourself and look after yourself um and be kind to yourself um so I've really been working on that um looking Brilliant. after myself exercising for the first time in years cooking every day instead of getting takeaways um i actually have some semblance of a routine which i didn't have before um so i think you know looking after yourself and and caring for yourself is what i've taken from it and i think what i'm thinking about now is well when it all comes back and we go back to work how do i carry on with that and how do i yeah. make time for it because yeah. Those little bits of time in the morning when you're not commuting, you know, they're, they're magic. So how, how will I keep that when we go back to normal? David, obviously, from a parent's point of view and from your own point of view, and you mentioned respite last week, the, the emotional journey and where you're at now. Obviously, I, I've been in discussions with parents throughout this, you know, parents with uh, with special needs children and parents with neurotypical kids and so on. And, I mean, I think it's fair to surmise that it's a very busy time and, you know, probably another word at times is very challenging. 
um, you you know, depending on whether uh, you know you're furloughed or whether you're working from home, um, that obviously changed the mix as well. You, you depending on how many kids there are, you know, you've got to look at homeschooling. You've got to try and divide yourself across them, both you know, both um, you know, but both both parents have to try and make that effort. Um, me personally, I'm working from home, so that and and we are very busy, very demanding. Um, but equally, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes when you want to do activities or do more activities with the with uh, the the kids. Uh, you know, you you, you can't do that. It's it's I, I believe it's it's hard on kids, and I've said this in previous podcasts. It's hard on both neurotypical kids and on kids with special needs. And my personal view is that it's harder on kids with special needs. That's my personal view, and because I feel that you know when they get into a routine, and I can talk about my own son, you know when you get out of that routine, they're a bit lost, and you know okay. Some kids, depending on, you know, maybe what type of condition they have, some kids really do rely on structure and routine and so on. But but then maybe kids with a different form of condition, you know, they may not be as methodically affected, but, but they still miss the routine. They still miss the teachers. They still miss the school. And, and neurotypical kids are no different. They miss their friends. You know, if you do a WhatsApp to the friends, they miss them. You know, they're sad. Uh, you know, it's. If, I I think it's fair to say, you know, that for most parents watching this, it's a really, really busy time, very busy. You know, very challenging, and you've got to really try and keep your finger on the ball. Thank you very, very much. Okay, Tisha, please. Your own emotional journey. It has been tough for me, really tough with. Uh full house, um, not being able to really go out much because of the kids and the space here at home is very limited, can't do exercises that I need to. And because I'm working from home, I'm, my time span between kids and work, it's really short, even to bedtime. So I, I must say, honestly, I have not been probably taking care of myself as I should or need to. So because I took so long, I noticed that when time to sleep, I couldn't because of the racing thoughts in my head from everything through the day and then not meeting some of the needs that I was supposed to. And it was a lot, you know. And so I had to, you know, cut off really early now, start cutting off really early. Like yesterday after the parent support group meeting, I had to just shut everything off, not check WhatsApp, not check mails, not anything, you know, and just come off one time and, you know, just probably spend time with family and do something that I probably can do without thinking of work. So it had a, a really, you know, for this past few months, it has been really tough on me, you know, just trying to meet the needs and trying to, you know, meet deadlines and work and, you know, even the parents trying to reach out to the parents, you know, trying to be, you know, there. Because even that, you know, it opened my eyes to see 
how much we have not been doing despite the amount that we've been doing so again it had taken a toll on me emotionally and so one of the things that i normally use to you know relax myself would be puzzles the kids look at something funny yeah so the one that i normally will do it has not been working so i kind of switched it up a little i've never done the sudoku so i started doing that one <laughs> okay well guys listen it's been absolutely fantastic i've really really enjoyed this evening i think that whole multi-agency angle brings a much fuller picture to everything that's going on and i think the work that you're doing is fantastic and in our own ways we're all trying to make a difference coming from a place of sincerity people it's been uh, it's been great to have you here this evening so this week who have we got as a richards you've done it oh keisha you haven't no, I oh, have not. No, so. you have not. So, right, as we know, what do we say to all you folks out there, Keisha? You are not alone. Thank you, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Thank you very bye -bye. much. Bye-bye. Bye, Michael. Bye. Take care. Good Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to ask a question or be a guest on one of our future podcasts, please feel free to contact us at yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org. That's yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org.